from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Okay, we are back. Control room may or may not be working, but who cares about those guys? Anyway, I'm Larry Kudlow, and uh, we bring back uh, my dear friend Judy Shelton, top economist, Trump advisor. She's advised a lot of Republican uh, presidents down through the years, author, columnist, and all the rest. Judy, thank you for giving us some time on a Saturday. Oh, Larry, my pleasure. It's always great to be with you. So listen, you got two blockbuster articles here I want to talk about. Uh, could America go the way of the Soviet Union? And by the way, you're going to join us. Uh, we're having this Fox Nation special. Uh, what is it called? It's about socialism. It's called the unauthorized history of socialism, and you're going to be crucial. I want our listeners to know that this Judy Shelton we're talking to right now is the very same Judy Shelton who actually predicted the collapse of the Soviet Union in the late 80s in her book, which is really a, a remarkable forecast. So don't tell me economists always get it wrong because she got it right. But, Judy, before we get to the uh, Russian story and the socialist story, the other one you had here, Biden and Powell are at odds on inflation. And I want to add to that, you know, we saw uh, Thursday and Friday Janet Yellen uh, out on this so-called victory tour for the economy. And I dare say there is no victory on the economy uh, with high inflation and declining real wages and uh, recessionary slumps and all the rest of it. So um, what do you make of this victory tour? And and by the way, and, and just let me add one thing. I don't want to monopolize, but it's just one last point. I had Kevin Hassett on the on the TV show and Kevin, who is a sweetheart, you know, Kevin, right? He's a sweetheart. Yes. He doesn't have bad words to say about anybody. He, he and I agree. We don't like to make things personal. And I think you're the same way. You can disagree on the policies, but let's not make it personal. So like we, we all know Yellen. I know her and her husband, George Akerlof, Nobel prize winning come, but Judy Sheldon, she, everything um, Yellen is saying is factually incorrect including her criticisms of the Trump tax cuts and deregulation, including her omissions about inflation. And she's ruining her reputation, Judy. She's just no ruining. Question. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. I, I felt I felt badly for her. Yep. I was I was sickened at her remarks uh, for two reasons. One, to be so partisan uh, as Treasury Secretary, I understand being a team player, but it really puts the lie to all the time she spent as a Fed chair pretending not to have a preference for for fiscal overspending and subsidies and all of these things. And maybe maybe those were her views all along, mm-hmm. in which case she had that political bent or it could also be that now she really doesn't believe in those things. But nevertheless, she is saying things. And then I think it's a it's a comment on her, her personal integrity. What outraged me the most was when she started talking about we had worsening inequality right. and, and lower growth under, under the Trump administration. And to me, she knows better. Um, even, even Chairman Powell refers to where we were prior to March 2020 as, as nirvana. 
it was perfect. You had 50-year record lows for minority employment, and you had growth, and you had productivity increases, so you had reduced inequality. And I know that she is aware of that, so I was, I was sorry to see her go that route. And I also felt that she was trying to redefine supply-side economics. Mm. And she said, this is modern supply-side economics, and our version is going to be more fair and have more equality. And first, we're going to prevent those greedy corporations and high-income individuals from not paying their fair share of taxes. And Mm. I thought, this is Orwellian. Mm. Her definition of supply-side economics was to increase regulations, was to increase taxation, versus the, the classic Reagan revolution was based on supporting the private sector and encouraging small business and entrepreneurship. The, the Reagan revolution didn't see growth as inflationary, didn't see low unemployment as inflationary. It wanted everyone to have the opportunity to be prosperous and productive in an economy that worked for everyone. Mm. You know what else, Judy? Um, besides uh, her redefining, by the way, she's still out there trying to do this goofy um, 15% minimum tax on multinationals who do business overseas, which, by the way, and, and this was something we had to put up with in the last year of the Trump administration, but Mnuchin and I, um, you know, we, we stopped it. I mean, we just kept postponing it. The president would never have agreed to it. Uh, but it would allow foreign countries uh, to determine the tax liability of American companies. And she's still pushing for that. You know, she's the one who said there's a race to the bottom for low taxes. OK, yeah. <laughs> <race>. and, <laughs> so every country has cut their corporate tax and she wants to raise ours. What does that mean? Right. <laughs> it, 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 there, there is such a thing as, as competition, and that's why we see people moving to states that right. are more business friendly. And that involves um, a more reasonable tax environment. Yeah. And the last thing the U.S. should ever do in a multilateral setting is allow other countries to define our policies, especially something so important as taxation. And I think it's a real mistake. That's one thing I learned in my posting in London at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. I represented U.S. interests. Mm -hmm. And you have to confront Europe, the entire European Union, all the time. because And we saw that on energy, Europe had it wrong. Well, on taxation, um, it would be a mistake to go to a higher level for the sake of trying to have some kind of global approach to taxation that reflects an attitude of letting government manage economic activity. Sure, sure. Uh, She also, by the way, Jan, has become, I mean, maybe as you were suggesting earlier, maybe she was always in the closet about this, but she's become a climate extremist, a climate policy. From day one, she was talking about the existential risk of global warming, and there is no global warming emergency what there is is a climate policy emergency that's literally unplugging America. And she's into that stuff, too. It's crazy. Larry, how can any rational person <laughs> look at the situation in, in California right. where they are now going to be required to switch to electric cars at the same time they're being told not to plug in because it would overwhelm the grid? Mm-hmm. 
and and to not be able to to manage uh, whatever transition you think is is reasonable is a mistake. I mean, you have you have leaders like Elon Musk, <laughs> who helped so much in bringing about um, electric vehicles, and he's the first guy to say it can't be done by immediately eliminating other sources of energy. Mm. I think that LNG is very important. Mm. We could have been helping Europe be less reliant on Russia if they had been willing to take U.S. exports of LNG and to set up the terminals to receive liquefied natural gas. But they were so bent on Nord Stream 2 Mm. that they made a big mistake. The U.S. always figures out these things, I think, for a better solution for the world. And we just need to stand up for what we know works. Yes, right on. Good for you. So anyway, let's go back to Biden and Powell at odds on inflation. Uh, another great op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. So, right, these recent bills, now going back to March of 21 with the $2 trillion uh, relief bill, which really helped trigger the inflation. But recently, I don't know, Steve Moore and I have calculated uh, putting all this stuff together there's at least $1.5 trillion of federal spending that's being legislated by the Democratic Congress, signed by the president. The student loan thing may be another half a billion to a half a trillion dollars, according to Penn Warden. But in any case, I think your point is that fiscal policy is still spending like there's no tomorrow, even while monetary policy is tightening. And uh, that is not the way to go. That is not they ought to be coordination, not conflict. That's right. That's what what I argue in that Wall Street Journal piece is that monetary tightening can't tame price increases in the face of a spendthrift White House and Congress. Mm. Um, You have to have sound money and sound finances. They have to go hand in hand for the economy to regain a solid footing. So we're working against ourselves And, uh, you know, when I hear um, Federal Reserve officials very solemnly say it's our responsibility, we're responsible, so we're going to do what what we intend to do. Um, First off, if they really are responsible, then somebody should be more accountable because they really blew it. But I don't even think they believe that. I don't think they believe they were responsible because they lock up all the money they created through quantitative easing by paying off banks and hedge funds to keep that money sitting sterile in cash accounts, risk-free at the Federal Reserve. And they've corralled it pretty well. Not too much has escaped. Mm -hmm. It's the money that came about through these cash payments from the government, subsidies, rebates, student loan forgiveness, all of that goes into the spending power of citizens. And that's what puts pressure on the prices. And I think when I, when I question what the Fed is doing sometimes in just thinking our job is to crush demand, and that's how we're going to bring it into alignment with our lower level of supply, think of a specific example. Let's say, let's say you, you own a, a fast food franchise and you have a line of credit with um, an adjustable rate, and you actively use that to manage your business. Well, now if that rate goes up, say another 75 points on top of the other two prior uh, jumps in the interest rate, you can either pass that rate on in your prices. So that's that's not cutting inflation, that's adding to Mm. consumer price increases, or you can fire people. 
Now, if those people who were working and producing output now go on unemployment, they're still going to have demand. They're still going to have money in their pockets because they'll collect unemployment. It's just now there's no additional output Mm. that, that matches the additional spending power that they'll receive. So again, I go back to the point that um, the only reason, in my view, the Fed can be raising is, I think we don't have price signals anymore, but let's say the traditional riskless rate is around 2.5%. The Fed thinks that there should also be 2% inflation. I disagree. I think it should be zero, but let's give them that. We're looking at maybe maybe the real rate of interest, the market-determined rate of interest, would be around four, four and a half percent. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to complain too much and root to that to that rate because I think the Fed had artificially suppressed it for so long. But at the same time, if the Fed is doing it just to crush demand, then then we see that that that's not going to be the solution to increasing supply. That's going to cause people to be fired. It's going to cause businesses to fold, and none of that helps on the inflation front. You know, Judy, it's interesting. First of all, I really agree with you uh, in this analysis, but Art Laffer was on the TV this uh, past week, and you know what he said? He said all this government spending, which I think technically, uh, Judy Sheldon, uh, goes into your bank account. Technically. Well, that's it. So that yes. bo- that boosts the various uh, money supply measures anyway, right there. But putting that aside for a sec, Arthur said there's the income effect, which is the federal assistance you've just described, boosts demand. But also uh, the supply effect, the incentive effect, because there are no work requirements – cuts supply they're not producing you know work effort goods or services so what you got here in terms of your uh, conflict between the fed and the uh, administration is uh they're increasing demand and they're cutting back on supply whereas the fed is trying to cut back on demand so that is it's a great point it's It's a a huge part of this whole conundrum that's right there's no you're you're discouraging that's right right. income workers why should they work and pay taxes when for for doing nothing they can earn approximately the same income that's it non-taxable you know the lack of discouraging the people who contribute the most to, to actual supply of goods and services the lack of workfare is a killer and that by itself is inflationary so it's, it is. It's it really is. like and a. Phil, it's like Phil, it's like Phil a three. A- yes, Phil Graham, you're dead right. Uh, op-ed. He's got a whole book coming out, Judy, on this. Um, he'll be on set with me on the TV show, I think, this week. But that's exactly right. The workfare piece is so important. The spending piece is bad enough, but removing the workfare piece makes it worse. And it really does. It, it, it's an incentive killer yes. brought to you by government good intentions. All right, Judy Sheldon, hang on. You're, you you got a lot of mo this morning. It's terrific. I love hearing this. It's <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Judy, uh, can I borrow you for another 10 minutes or so? i got to take a quick commercial break. I, I do I want, I want to talk to you about your, uh, your Russian piece, too. Uh, folks, we're with Judy Sheldon, distinguished economist and author, um, uh, Trump advisors advise many conservative Republican presidents. I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. 
from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking to the great Judy Shelton, senior fellow at the Independent Institute, former Trump advisor, advisor to other Republican presidents. Judy, um, could America go the way of the Soviet Union? By the by, as I said, we're going to have this Fox Nation special. You're going to be a key participant because we're going to talk a lot about socialism. But um, let's see. Disturbing new poll conducted by Quinnipiac University finds that 67% of Americans are concerned that democracy in the U.S. is in danger of collapse. I mean, you talked about the financial collapse of the Soviet Union and turned out to be completely correct. Um, Are there comparisons with our – I mean, our financial position is always stronger – but uh, then something like the Soviet Union, the dollar, you know, king dollars, the world uh, reserve currency. But are we in danger of losing, you know, our edge uh, in, in recent times or in the near term future? Well, I think to remain a strong nation, a leading nation in the world, your people have to have to believe in your founding vision and your basic principles and values, in addition to having a government that serves those values and principles. And you need to have um, cohesion and and a sense of purpose. And what I was struck by is when that poll came out and said 67% of Americans Hmm. are worried about the collapse of democracy in our nation, I thought that's that's really quite quite shocking. And the next day, the news came out about Gorbachev dying, and I remembered those years when I was concentrating on the Soviet Union, and thought how shocking it would have been to Gorbachev to suggest that his country wouldn't exist in a few years, and that would he he would be overseeing its demise. And all I'm suggesting is that we need to solve our financial problems. Um, I was struck by, I went back and looked at my conclusion to the book where I was suggesting the Soviet Union was going bankrupt. Mm. It's not just that they were going to turn out to be a deadbeat and not pay back all the loans they were getting from the West. They were actually no longer financially viable. So what did that mean? And I wrote that the biggest threat this is 1989, to the continued global authority of the Soviet Union and its status as a working model of socialism is the massive budget deficit it's carrying. Mm. And I said, for years, the Kremlin has had to resort to printing money to paper over chronic revenue shortfalls. That's a recipe for inflation, no matter what the ideological tenets of the system. So I feel that the U.S. really has to get a handle on this. It's it's not enough for Federal Reserve officials to say we won't comment on the fiscal and budget priorities of the government. That would be improper. But the model going forward is unsustainable. Hmm. Well, somebody has to do something. And if if the White House and Congress won't criticize the Fed and the Fed won't criticize them, that turns out to be mutually convenient. But it doesn't solve the problem of needing to have sound finances and sound money, because I think money is a is a moral contract between the government and the citizens and to be removing purchasing power, expropriating purchasing power at these levels of inflation 
is to me um, unacceptable. And um, citizens deserve better. This is our legal tender, and we need to have its meaning as a unit of account and a reliable, honest measure and a store of value made whole again so that Americans can plan their lives. If, if we live in a, a, an economy based on individual liberty and economic freedom and, and we believe in free market, um, the, the free market interaction versus government management to determine economic outcomes, we have to deliver a sound, solid monetary unit. And so inflation is a, a serious problem. And it gets to the, the moral issue. It was that the Soviet Union was going morally bankrupt. Its citizens no mm. longer believed in the vision that the government was going to deliver a wonderful life and it would be a worker's paradise. Mm. And I'm concerned that if people are likewise losing faith in our founding vision and have concerns, that's that's a bad combination. You know, and we, we need to restore on both fronts what we believe in and what we will fight for. And by fighting for it, I mean, in terms of good policy from the officials we elect, you know, Judy. uh Years back, did you know Marty Anderson? Martin I worked Anderson, for Analyst. Martin Anderson. I was oh. his assistant at the Hoover Institution. Oh, that's right. First came that's right. Stanford University. All right. Yeah. I, you know what? I knew that. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I, I knew that. That's right. Okay. Marty used to say this. Now, Marty agreed with you and me for that matter, but you know, we should have – some kind of commodity backing for the dollar, whether it's gold or commodity indexes. But but you know what else Marty used to argue? We have to have a fiscal backing of the dollar. That's what you're saying, that um, if the dollar yes. is if, – if our fiscal policy is completely unhinged with multi-trillion dollar deficits and spiraling debt to GDP, that damages the dollar. In fact, Marty argued in favor of gold – in order to balance the budget. I'm running out of time. You know what, kiddo? We'll talk about this much more. Folks, this is Judy Shelton, the brilliant Judy Shelton. Judy, please say hello to Gil for me. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and talk to the great political columnist, Charlie Hurd. We'll talk about Elizabeth. We'll talk about the elections. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. I'm Kudlow. Please stick around. Hang out with us today. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 